Heather Kylie is here today. How's it going, Heather? It's going great. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. We're just coming off some big news here in PEI. We're uh, a little bit of a quarantine. How are you feeling? How things going? Oh, I know. I have to admit, Maddie, I was a little bummed out last night. I was at my parents for supper and we got the news the way I heard about it first. I saw on Facebook that my gym was closing down. <laughs> oh, yes. Good yeah. for someone like me, but we have to make do, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of people are probably feeling that way mm. last night, but. Um, you know, I think you just got to focus on what you can control and hopefully we'll get through it. Exactly. <laughs> I, think we'll get I, through think, it. I think we will. And I think if people pay attention, listen and do what we're supposed to do, then, you know, hopefully these stricter measures, we won't have to deal with them for too long. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see. For sure. Um, well, I just want to say thanks for reaching out. Um, you reached a little while ago. I'm always mm -hmm. appreciative of anybody who wants to reach out and come uh, tell their story um so i'll let you kind of dive into it and start wherever you want to start sure sure well i have to be honest i didn't really prepare for any of this so i'll i'll just kind of give you um a little bit Perfectly of fine. yeah i'll give you a bit of an overview and 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 then you can feel free to ask all the questions you want but I guess um, I'm 53 years old now, Maddie, and uh, so sort of the whole mental health thing is something that I've been dealing with for many, many years. Um, when I was thinking back, I kind of thought, you know, this probably started even when I was just very young, like a, a child. Um, back in the day, I mean, who knew? And there were no names for this sort of thing, but. Um, I guess I was always, my mother described me as a very sensitive child. And uh, I think probably she was right. One of the things though I do remember as a child is I was someone who dealt with a lot of fear. I was very fearful of things. And I guess now that I know more of the terminology, very anxious about things. And, what sort of things were you fearful of at a young age? Well, you know, just it would even just be as simple as day to day things. I was afraid of people who were close to me, that they would get sick, that they would die, that I would get sick, I would die. It was even simple things like driving to town. I grew up in the country and I would see the gas gauge on the car was getting closer to empty. And that <laughs> that would just really freak me out. And I'd be very, right. very anxious so i was always kind of seeing the worst of things that could possibly happen and and that would upset me a lot however i mean i i, I was basically a pretty happy kid grew up in a pretty normal family whatever normal is and um you know got along well in school and whatnot i think the first big memory i have though is that when i was about 16 so it was the summer between grade 11 and 12. So I was going to be turning 17 that September when I went into grade 12. I picked up some kind of a virus or something. I guess it was kind of a flu-like thing, but it seemed to drag on for a long time over the summer. And being sort of nervous and anxious as I was, I was convinced that I had some incurable disease. And I- Coronavirus. 
<laughs> yeah. And I remember my mother taking me to the doctor and the doctor basically said it was some gastrointestinal thing, but likely had caused a little bit of inflammation in my stomach lining and gave me a, um, some kind of a medication to deal with it. But I remember the first day of grade 12, I still hadn't quite recovered. And I was on the school bus going into school that morning. And I remember leaning my head against the bus window and thinking, oh, I'm sick and I just can't do this. And I got off the bus and I was walking into school and a classmate of mine who I hadn't seen all summer kind of came up beside me and he said, Heather, you are so skinny. <laughs> and then I realized that, you know, over the summer with the constant stress and the worry that probably indeed I had lost a lot of weight and whatnot. However, um, I quickly got involved in all the school activities, grade 12 and that sort of thing, and it passed. So we'll fast forward a little bit to my first year of university. I went to UPEI, so I'm just turning 18 years old. And I moved out of home. I actually moved into um, um, my best friend's parents' place. They lived in Sherwood. And I thought it would be cool to move out of home, but it was still, I was going to be living with people I knew. So it was a bit of independence without having too much. One thing I realize now though, even though academically I did very well, I had a scholarship to go to university. In many ways, I wasn't ready emotionally um, for that break away from home. Um, so I ended up, now I realize, very depressed. I didn't know what it was back then. I just felt really, really badly. Um, I had constant headaches. Um, I was always at the doctor, like what's wrong with me? And um, of course, as very typical, when you get into university, I started a lot of the, the drinking and partying scene. Um, however, right. for me, it wasn't quite, it, it wasn't normal. Um, it was, I realize now looking back, it was that typical, self-medication thing right right um i had a very very difficult first year of university as a result i alienated a lot of people a lot of my friends i i hated to look at myself in the mirror and that was the first time in my life that i kind of thought hmm, is life worth living um did this start right away when you moved to the, the new house yeah, it did. When I moved in with my with my friend's parents. Now, these were people I met my best friend in grade one. And these were people I spent my whole childhood with. They were like second parents to me. So it's not like I was necessarily uncomfortable living with them. But I don't yeah. think I was ready at the time for a big move. And quite frankly, I, I don't think I was ready for university. Um, right. So I think a lot of that sort of triggered things. I mean, I, I'm sure as well with perhaps things in my upbringing. Again, I had great parents, but like, ev like everything, nobody's perfect, right? And neither are our parents. As a parent now, I, was, I wasn't perfect. But I think um, there were different things over the years that probably led to this. But this was a bit of um, a turning point, as they, the old saying, the straw that broke the camel's back. 
But of right. back, back then, we didn't talk about mental health. We didn't even know. I didn't even know that I was depressed. I didn't know that I was anxious. Like we didn't have that terminology back then. And when I say back then, I'm I'm talking the mid 1980s. Um, yeah. And so it, it was a very very difficult time. I think over the course of my university career, I sort of had my ups and downs, but I managed to pull it together. Um, I ended up having some counseling and that sort of thing. But still, even then, I don't think we appreciated the whole depression and anxiety thing in those years. I think the health professionals did to some extent, but certainly the community didn't. Um, Just out of curiosity, what, what, do you, what would be the reaction, do you think, back then, if you said, like, I'm depressed or uh, I'm feeling down a lot, or even, like, you said, like, I feel like life's not worth living sometimes? I think, Maddie, that back in those days, you sort of would have been almost pushed aside. We were at that point still where you were pushed aside because, you know, even in my own family, as supportive as they were, once they knew the extent of what was going on, I kind of became known as Heather, um, the, the fragile one, the one with the issues. Um, yeah. she, she's bright, she's intelligent, but um, she's got problems. So I always felt that my, my family felt that perhaps because I, I had these issues and almost like a disability in some way that I wouldn't amount to as much as I was perhaps capable of. Um, right. Whereas I think today, I think we still have a long way to go, but I do think that today people are quicker to realize um, what's going on and that necessarily it's not a reflection on who you are as a person. Um, but yeah, I would agree with that. It, yeah, it was still very, it was still very difficult. Um, I think the, the, the next big flare up I had, I got married as uh, just a few months after I graduated from university, I got married for the first time and after the marriage, I fell into a pretty significant depression. Now, if, funnily enough, it's kind of common, I guess, when people do get married with all the buildup, particularly back in those days to a wedding and that sort of thing, there's a little bit of a letdown after the fact when it's all over. But for me, literally, I fell into a depression. And I remember yeah. my husband, my first husband at the time, um, kind of he noticed that something was wrong and he knew that I had had some issues as well. But I, I remember, I think that he even spoke to my parents at the time that he was a little concerned with the way I, I was feeling. But again, as these things I think are a bit cyclical, um, I rallied around again. And then when I, after we had our children, so I had my first child, my son, Max, when I was 25, uh, my daughter Hannah followed, I was about 28. And I had like basically a, a real breakdown at that point. So, and that's when the anxiety started. Um, up until that point, I guess there had been some anxiety, but at that point, literally I was taking serious panic attacks. Um, I remember the first one I ever had, I was working at St. John Ambulance at the time, I was the office manager. And I remember I was sitting at my desk one morning and I looked down and my hands and my arms had all broken out in red blotches. 
And so the first thing, uh, sorry, go ahead. I just said, wow. Yeah, wow, I know. And I, the first thing I thought was that I had taken some kind of a reaction to something. So I went over across the hallway to the woman who worked with me in the office, who also happened to be a first aid trainer, but she worked in the office with me. And I said to her, I said, um, look at me. And then all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. And I remember saying to her, cause her name was Lana. And I said, Lana, I can't breathe. And I remember I kind of collapsed in the chair and because of her training, she immediately called the ambulance. And uh, that was my first real experience with a panic attack. So I ended up in the hospital by ambulance. By the time they got me to the hospital, um, I couldn't, I could hardly breathe. And because I had been hyperventilating so much, my body was paralyzed and I couldn't talk. So really? I, remember, I remember the doctor in the ER looking at me and I remember him saying, Heather, like, did you take some kind of a drug? And I couldn't answer him because I, I couldn't move my mouth. So the, the first thing they did was they shot me up with adrenaline because they thought I was taking an allergic reaction. Well, <laughs> person taking a panic attack, <laughs> think you can do adrenaline into them, right? So, <laughs> right? Gasoline on the fire. Oh, wow. So then I started like the convulsions and coming off the bed and everything else. Um, that day I left the hospital because they contacted my husband um, he took me home and that was the beginning of years of misery. Um, because I think one of the things happens when you take your first panic attack, it's such a horrendous experience that then you fear the next one. And then it becomes yeah. a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I spent many years, um, on medication, the problem was is that none of the medication helped. So the doc, my, my doctor, I mean, bless his heart, he was my doctor since I was 19. They would up the dosage of my medication, but I would still take panic attacks. And then mixed in there, I would have depression on and off as well. Could I back you up for one second? Yes. About the depression. Um, so during, um, We'll get back into the anxiety for sure, but yes. during um, university and after the marriage, like, could you describe like sort of the feelings that you would feel with like the depression and then how you would get out of it and then like how it would come back again, that sort of thing? Yeah, it, it, it's kind of funny. Um, the depression would just kind of hit. Like I would literally just wake up one morning and I would just feel like life was ending, you know, the sort of the cliche dark cloud hanging over my head like you know is this worth it um why, why do i even want to be alive thankfully i think as much as possible my husband and family tried to support me um and then what would happen eventually is over time i think it would almost in a sense run its course in a way but one thing with depression if it's not treated then of course if you get it again and then again like you can get into this real downward spiral and i think that's what kept happening with me right um 
I'm not even sure at that time, Maddie, if there was anything I did to get out of it. I think it almost, because I didn't realize at the time. And, and I think it just almost ran its course in a way. And then I would start right. to come out of it. Um, but I, you could be guaranteed it would always hit again. And I think what would happen is I almost wouldn't have one without the other. So if the depression would hit, then the anxiety would follow. Or on the other side, if anxiety hit, then the depression would follow. It was, you know, so the two of them would eventually be going on at the, the same time. And that went on for a number of years. Um, I was a teacher. Um, I was taken away. I remember one time I was teaching at Charlottetown Rural at the time. And one day at a staff meeting, I, I could feel a panic attack coming on and I got up and left the meeting. Well, eventually I ended up being taken out of the school by ambulance over to the hospital again with another serious panic attack. And um, eventually it got to the point where I went out on disability and I thought, I'll never work again. Like I am sick, I'll be sick for the rest of my life and I will never be able to hold down a job because I could hardly even go out of the house. Um, yeah. I imagine like that would just fuel the anxiety as well. I mean, what we were just talking about where you're thinking about all oh, like, I just, I lost this job and then, you know, maybe you like the job and then it's like, oh, I'll never work again. And then that just like yeah. makes all the anxiety go up. Absolutely. And <laughs> time my parents were living up north in northern Canada because my dad was working up there and so was my mom uh, none of my siblings were living on the island I did have some support from my husband's family my husband at the time but nobody really understood it so I remember at one point it was 1999 so my children were young because uh, Max was born in 1993 and my daughter Hannah was born in 1995 and um, I was off work and uh, my grandfather passed away and I was the one who was in the hospital with him sitting by his bed when he passed away and that was fine I was I was actually good at dealing with stuff like that um, but I remember my brothers came home or one of my brothers came home for his funeral. And I remember my brother remarked that I didn't look well. And very shortly after that, um, I actually ended up in unit nine. I was stand. my husband traveled a lot with his work. So I was left alone, not well with two young children. Um, it was a very, very difficult time. And I was standing at the counter one night. He happened to be home at this point, but he was out working. And I was preparing supper. And I remember feeling the kids were running around and I thought, I can't stand up. So I went into the bedroom and I kind of crashed on the bed. And then a little while later, he came home and he came in. And I'll never forget the look on his face because he just thought, I could tell, like, here we go again. And I said to him, I said, you've got to take me to the hospital. So I remember we packed up the kids. We dropped them off at his sister's place, drove to the hospital. 
he dropped me off at emergency because I said to him, I said, just let me go in. I'll get in touch with you later. So he left because we had two kids to deal with. And I went into the eMERGE. I remember going through triage and I remember sitting down uh, in a chair and then I don't remember anything. It's like I blacked out. And the next thing I remember is I was lying in a bed in eMERGE and there was a doctor looking down at me and he said, Heather, he said, would, do you think you would hurt yourself? And the only thing I can remember, I remember a tear going down the side of my face and I couldn't even talk. I remember just nodding my head, yes. And I was three weeks in unit nine. Oh. Yeah. Can you recall like what what you felt or what that feeling was like like just before going into the hospital like was it something that you never felt before it, it, it was I had I don't think I had ever reached a lower point in my life at that point um, I just remembered I think that was the first time even with the issues up until that point with depression and with anxiety that was probably the first time that I thought this isn't worth it anymore. Like life is not worth living for people who have never experienced that. That's very hard to understand because today, I mean, basically I'm healthy. I, I still deal with some issues from time to time, but I don't think what people understand who haven't dealt with something like this is how someone can feel like that and how you can feel that perhaps not being here is easier than being here because that's how I felt. I truly believe that the only thing that kept me alive and going was the fact that I had two young children. And there was something inside of me that was saying, you know what, you have to be here for them. Yeah. Oh, Maddie, honestly, if it wasn't for my children, um, I don't know. I don't know if I'd still be here today. And that's really scary because um, when, when, I, when I see and when I hear of instances, you know, with people who die by suicide and that sort of thing, I get it. I understand it. Like I was so close to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, uh, according to Stats Canada, 11 people commit suicide every day. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it's such a crazy thing that happens every day. I know, I know, right? Um, the, the, the sad part too, unfortunately, I think, there are some people with the severity of illness and, and then you hear the stories, um, the situations where people aren't responding to medication, um, certain circumstances in their lives. Um, quite honestly, we're not able to save them. And, it, and it's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, but we lose people to other types of illness as well. You know, no matter the best therapies available don't always save people, right? Mm -hmm. what, what I hope, though, is that by being more open, by talking, um, 
you know, getting more approval, more acceptance from society. I, I think, you know, the medical system has come a long way that we can certainly help and deal with a lot more people perhaps than we, than we did in the past. Look, yeah. even today, Maddie, I mean, I still have times that life's not perfect. Um, my second husband had uh, some serious health issues, um, had to be hospitalized. And, and during those times, um, you know, I would have anxiety flare up and panic attacks and that sort of thing. Um, I'm recently separated now. I'm living on my own. And that was one of my biggest fears. One of my biggest fears was being on my own, living alone, because I thought, what will I do if I take a panic attack and there's nobody here to help me? Terrible, terrible feeling. Um, I can say though, on the positive side, um, I've been a lot on my own now for a few months. I'll be honest, I've woken up a few nights in total anxiety. Um, in the beginning, I would run out and grab a, my bottle of pills <laughs> and take a sedative to bring me down. But then I started to think about other alternatives for that. So I uh, got onto YouTube. I found kind of some hypnosis videos that centered around anxiety and that sort of thing. So now if I wake up in the middle of the night, the first thing I do is put that on and I concentrate really, really hard on um, the voice. And I find that that gets me calmed down and I go back to sleep. So happy to say that I don't necessarily have to rely on, on medication all the time um, for that sort of thing, which is what I like. Um, but you know what? I take medication every day. I'm happy to say because I've introduced a lot of positive things into my life over the years and different lifestyle factors. Um, exercise and fitness being probably the major thing. Um, I'm able to keep my medication at a very low level. Um, yeah. Will I ever be off it? I don't know. But one day when I was trying to get off it, my doctor said to me, quite frankly, he said, Heather, listen, if you were sitting my, in my office with a thyroid condition, you wouldn't be questioning the fact that I'm prescribing you a medication. So he said, why are you yeah. doing this? And you know what? He was right. He was right. I, I do think that lifestyle can make a big difference in how you feel. And I think I'm an example of that. But sometimes I think we need the extra help. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. And that's kind of, uh, it's what I'm into and is what I think about a lot. I'm a personal trainer. Yes. Um, and I'm constantly thinking about mental health and what is needed. I think uh, like how much of it is the environment? Like how much of it is environmental? Like is it technology? Is it our lack of connectedness to each other? Is it our lack of movement because we're always on technology? Yeah. And um, what are some of those gaps that we can start to fill? And then how can we be open and honest about it? Like for you, I always try to ask the question where you were saying like at first, um, when you were younger, how it kind of set on. I always try to ask that question because I think if a young person is watching they might see it and be like, oh, I feel like that too, right? Because right. when you're young, you don't really, 
you don't really know much. You just like, I feel weird today or whatever, but exactly. if we can start to um, identify these things at a young age and then find out the environmental factors, at least give them the best chance, the help exactly. that they need, they need it. Exactly. I think, Maddie, too, one of the things that um, I realize now, uh, there's no doubt that mental health issues run in my family. Um, uh, I mean, and quite extensively, I mean, like, and listen, heart disease runs in many families too, right? So this just happens to be one of the things. I do believe, though, that often with a lot of these things, it's not a self-fulfilling prophecy. There are often triggers, right? So I do believe that although perhaps genetically you might carry certain tendencies, often there's triggers, um, whether it's a particular traumatic event or even just smaller things building up over time that can sort of flip that switch. So there's no doubt in my family that there is a genetic tendency. Um, how it all played out for me that that switch was turned on. I mean, I could probably write a book on that and actually I am working on a memoir, so maybe we'll figure that one out. But one of the things, unfortunately, I didn't know as a young person was how much control we actually do have. So, I mean, at one point I did figure out, you know, okay, uh, one of the big things for me is routine. So, you know, you've got to establish a routine, get up at the same time, go to bed at the same time, um, eat well. And then the big thing was the exercise. Whatever, I'm not a scientist, um, I've read a lot about it, but whatever exercise does to our brains, it causes um, brain chemicals, I think, to work differently. Um, it burns off stress and that sort of thing, no doubt about it. If I'm not exercising, it doesn't take long before I start not to feel as well. So those are non-negotiables in my life. You know, I have to do certain things. And that's the first thing that I would tell people is look at your lifestyle, look at what you're doing. Um, I think the other thing, though, it's very important um, is to get the help when you need it. So, I mean, you've got to see your doctor. You may need counseling. You may need medication. But I'm also proof that a whole lot of medication doesn't necessarily work if you aren't considering all of the other factors. So I think it's a bit of a multifaceted approach to something like this, because the way I look at this is it's a chronic illness. Um, you can function very well, you can live a very, you know, basically happy and healthy life. But deep inside me, I always know this is something that's always lurking in the background. And if I'm not cognizant of that, and if I don't live my life accordingly, I can get in trouble. Like this can flare up again. And it has, yeah. as for me recently. Um, but, you know, you just keep at it and you just keep going. And, uh, I think there's a lot that's within our control and that's what we have to remember. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, one of my guests I had on his name is JD Gilmore and, uh, mm -hmm. he does call it life coaching, but basically he gets referrals from like psychologists or counselors. And, um, his thing is like, we kind of know what your diagnosis is already. We're not trying to, figure that out it's like you've already went there and figured that out now it's like i'm gonna help you put the things into action to make you feel better every day right 
And I really, I really like that because it's just kind of what you just said. I mean, you can go to the therapy and you feel better when you get it all out. You should do that 100%. You should go um, get medication if you need it. But like putting in the actions every day is, is I think it's equally as important, probably. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, I do think too, like you, you mentioned there before, one of the things I think today, which is particularly difficult and listen um people have suffered from mental health issues probably as long as humans have been around um we didn't recognize it per se but i also think i truly do believe that perhaps it's gotten uh worse um in modern times um particularly in the last number of years uh, we are more we're more aware we're more cognizant but i also think like you say, our lifestyle, um, we're in this 24 seven news feeds, social media. Um, yeah. You know, when I was a child, I lived out in rural PEI. It was about a 20 minute drive to Charlottetown. But when I drove down the road to go into Charlottetown, I knew every person, I knew all their homes. I live in a 12 unit apartment building today. I don't even know the people who live in my own building. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we've lost yeah. a sense of connectedness. Um, listen, I'm on social media myself, but I still yeah. think it's kind of fake connectedness in a way. Um, yeah. We are more sedentary. I mean, with technology, more of us are sitting on our backsides every day, you know, with our jobs. We're not out there doing the physical and manual labor, which burns a lot of stuff off. Um, we have to make more of an effort to be physically active today. So I think with sort of that disconnect, families are more spread out, um, you, you know, just being bombarded with information and negative news on all fronts. We just have not, like human beings, we're kind of almost still in the caveman days in a sense, our bodies, but yet everything is evolving so quickly. It's almost like we, we, we haven't caught up and we're not going to catch up right away. So it, it's yeah. like it's too much for us. And there's no doubt that that's affected our mental health. I firmly believe that. Yeah. Well, you can't do, you can't undo uh, two million years of evolutionary biology right. and psychology right. in 10 years or 12 years since the iPhone came out, right? Well, exactly. Exactly. And when I stop and think that even on a daily basis uh, with, with the position I have at work, the, the constant bombardment with emails and the information. Listen, my great-grandparents and even my great-grandfather, we know, had serious mental health issues, but they didn't have to deal with that kind of onslaught of information and that fast pace. I mean, I, I truly believe we're not meant to keep up with that, which becomes... Yeah. I think very important, though, that we realize we have to step back, right? We have to look after ourselves. We have to eat well. We have to exercise. We have to be mindful, meditate, whatever it is, you know, we have yeah. to do something. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can't pour from that cup. Yeah. I mean, we have to adapt to the times. I mean, we can't go back. 
Um, and not that we should, but boy, we have to look after ourselves in the process. I honestly think like, similar to how cigarettes were for a long time, I think this time will be looked back upon as the time that we were completely engaged in social media constantly or technology. I mean, I think we'll always be engaged in technology, but I think the social media, I think you hit it on the head there with like the, the negative news constantly. I think it'll be looked upon as like the time where we were like poisoning ourselves but we didn't even know it. You, you know what? Brilliant. You're, you're right. And I, and I do think that because I really truly believe that a lot of this stuff is as much as a risk factor for our health, um, mental health in particular, as like you say, as smoking is to our physical health. And, and now yeah. we know with the smoking and perhaps we just haven't quite realized, but I mean, I'm interested in this kind of thing. I, I read things, the experts are sounding the alarms. We just yeah. have catch up as a society and realize you know i think it's a big topic of conversation now i think people are starting to say but no one's really taking action right like i think it'll be like yeah it'll probably take a while before it's mainstream like you know there'll be more and more apps that like encourage you to get off the phone for a while and stuff yeah yeah well you know even two or three years ago for the first time in my professional career i actually was off work for a few weeks because of burnout um, I will never forget the day it happened. It, uh, looking back, I realized there were some warning signs, but I remember the actual day that I left work um, and I wasn't depressed, I wasn't anxious, but I remember sitting in a meeting and there were people talking and I knew that they were talking. I could see their mouths moving and I had no idea what they were saying. But when I look back, I remember, um, I was working 60 plus hours a week. I was trying to yeah. keep up professionally. And I remember the doctor put me off work right away. And like I said, I was off work for a few weeks, but he said to me before I went back, he said, you, you cannot go back and repeat the same patterns or you're going to be sitting in my office again. And he was yeah. right. And I mean, that connects into mental health as well, right? So now of course. I, I've, I'm, I'm getting better and I'm learning, you know what? That stuff is always going to be there. We're going to be bombarded no matter what, but we have to learn to pace ourselves and to sort of say, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. And we've got to yeah. get time in for self-care. Yeah. I think so too. I think it really comes down to balance and yeah. then finding your own balance. And I think, uh, I know that I personally struggle with that and I'm sure everybody does because life happens and you have a job or you're doing some kind of occupation and you're so caught up in it and then you're so caught up in something else and mm -hmm. you're trying to do everything at once. You're right. No, you're right. And uh, I mean, I've paid the price. I've seen many people in my career pay that price. It's not worth it. Not only balance, as you say, very important, but we have to learn to set some boundaries um, as well. I mean, for our physical and mental health, both. Because, you know, if I tried to keep up the pace that I was at one time, I mean, I know because of my tendencies, um, my mental health would just crash. Yeah. 
And I think too, like it goes back to the uh, connectivity to each other. Like there's a lot of relationships that get pushed off because you're too busy working. Yes. I think like this pandemic was a good example of that is like everybody slowed down and they realized like, oh shit, like I need a Zoom call with like my friend. Like I mm-hmm. haven't seen them in a long time. You know what I mean? Like you just realize all of a sudden what's important when shit goes down. Well, no, you're right. You're right. And and I think as much as I hate this whole pandemic thing, I do think that when we all look back, there are some lessons to be learned from it. I hope that we're all smart enough that we'll carry some of those lessons forward. Um, Sometimes it's easy to forget and get back into old habits and old ways of doing things. But uh, yeah, I think there are lessons to be learned for sure. For sure. 100%. And then we uh, we can learn them again now. Exactly. We're locked in again. Now we're locked in again. So no, we, can, we can think about that for the next couple of weeks at least. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you mentioned uh, about, you know, anxiety and then having panic attacks kind of scattered. Um, could you talk a little bit about, like, your experience with um, I guess medications and depression and kind of leading into where you are now? Yeah, so um, I think I was probably in my mid twenties. The first time a doctor suggested that I take medication and it wasn't my own family doctor. It's because I had a bit of a breakdown and ended up at one of the night clinics in town. And my mother was actually, I had children then, and um, my mother was actually the one who drove me in to the night clinic, and I couldn't talk. Um, I was, all I could do was sob, and I just remember the doctor at the night clinic looking at my mom and saying, you know, I think she's going to need some some medication. So that was kind of my first experience. Um, I started taking the medication. Um, so then of course those records go over to your doctor. So, I mean, my family doctor knew at that point and whatnot. Um, then I think I, I just stopped taking the medication. See, that's one of the things that happens too. You start to think you're feeling okay. And then you stop taking the medication. Right. And sometimes that doesn't always work out the best way. Um, I think though, a lot of life circumstances, that I, I changed over time contributed as well. Um, but eventually I kind of accepted the fact that, yeah, you're just going to have to take medication. But sadly, uh, like I say, I think with just, again, various life circumstances and perhaps underlying issues not being dealt with, it didn't matter how much medication I took. Um, I was still depressed I was still having anxiety attacks and I don't want to though make that sound like too much because I know how valuable medication can be but that's only one of the tools right and I think yeah. we have to look not only at medication but what else should you be doing and sometimes that also involves making some very difficult decisions about your life you know what you're doing where you're at that sort of thing. Um, Sometimes I still wonder if depression and anxiety is not almost a desperate cry from deep within that, you know, you're not going the right way 
in your life. And looking back, yeah. I think in my case, that might have been yeah. the, the, the way as well. So I don't think any medication is going to solve that problem, which means you have yeah. to do a lot of things. But, you know, yeah, I, I certainly had my ups and downs with medication. One of the things I will say, um, I do believe at one point in some sense I was over-medicated. Um, I did come off one medication without any difficulty. Then another medication that I was taking for depression and anxiety, I figured that I was doing enough positive in my life that I could slowly reduce that. And my doctor knew about it. I told him that was very, very difficult because I was having a lot of side effects and rebound effects from coming, you know, from reducing the medication. So that was also a very difficult time. But like I say, I think now I've basically leveled out on a, on a minimum dose. Um, I tried coming off of it completely, but then went through uh, a bit of a difficult time with my, my husband at the time, some health issues he was having. And I think at that time, probably the medication would have helped. So, so I ended up going back on, on it a, more regularly again. And uh, to tell you the truth, I'm okay with where I am now. I take it, not much, but I take it. And I don't really have any desire at this point to really try to stop it because I think between that and everything else I'm doing, everything's working okay. So would you say that like finding the right low dose and then accompanied with the right lifestyle changes was really the, the turning point for you? Absolutely. 100%. You know, it took me, I think, many, many years to get where I got. Like, don't forget, like I say, my first real incident, I think, is was at 16 years of age, and now I'm 53. I would yeah. describe my mid-20s to my mid-30s as hell on earth. And yeah. basically, with some ups and downs, things got better since that time. So, I mean, it wasn't an overnight thing. But, yeah. but Right. I think um, I finally found the balance. I did. And that's why I want to, one of the things I always want to get across to people, when you start dealing with the human mind, the human brain, the spirit, the soul, and everything else, there's no overnight solutions, right? No. Yeah. This is a journey. Um, it, it takes time. As bad as things can seem, I do believe for the most part, there is always hope. If you can just stick in there and do what needs to be done eventually, I think we can all reach where we need to be. And it's different for everybody because we're not all the same, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine definitely just all those years of experience of going through, like basically getting to know yourself and yeah, what you need to do to feel good and okay. Exactly. One of the things, too, at the age I am now, I'm smart enough to realize that with the things I've been through over the years, there are certain places I never want to go back to again. So if I find myself slacking off a little bit, be it the exercise, my diet or, or you know, my sleep routines or anything, it doesn't take me long to say, OK, slap upside the head, <laughs> you know. Yeah self back on track because you know as a teenager dealing with this stuff i had no idea 
and I didn't know how my behaviors could influence how I felt right now. Yeah. I, so that, that really, really helps. But I think sometimes if young people can hear from people like me to, to understand that, that there is a lot in your control, that there are things you can do, that it's going to take some experimentation. Yes, you're going to have bad times, but you know, there is hope. Um, I'm an example of it. I mean, today I have a, a fantastic job, whereas at one time I thought I'd never work again. So, yeah. you know, there, there is hope. Always there's hope. Um. I want to say thanks so much for sharing. I have one more question for you. Yes. Um, is there any advice you would give to family members of someone who's getting this sort of thing? I think, I think the advice I would give is don't jump in to try to take control because all of us, I think we need to figure our way in a certain way. We all need to figure it out. But I think the, the main thing I would say is just be there. Please just be there. Like one of the things when I'd be crippled with a panic attack or an anxiety attack, I just wanted someone there, but I didn't want them to talk to me because that just... Yeah. Anxious. I just wanted them there. So, so don't be afraid to ask the question, what can I do for you? What can I do to help you? And, and listen to what they have to say. You know, we're all in this, no matter what issues we're dealing with this, I think we have to figure it out on our own with help. The main thing for family, just be there, be willing to hold their hand. Don't try to take over though because this is our own journey. We have to figure it out, but just be there for support. Right. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Um, I think that's a good place to end it. I just want to say thank you so much, Heather, for coming on and sharing your story yes. and sharing all your wisdom. Thank you, Maddie. This, this was just great. I really, really admire what you're doing. It's fantastic. And I'm just so happy that I was able to chat with you and at least offer my little piece of all this. <laughs> I really appreciate it, Heather. Thank you so much. Okay. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.